It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. I am your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the floppy limb to my Paul Craig Armbar, Nick Braccia. How are you, my friend? That's me, dislocated and uh, blopping all over the place. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Insanity considering the trash talk leading up to it, buddy. But uh, Paul Craigman, once again, gets a motherfucking prospect out of there by submission. A lot of yeah, and a lot of respect afterwards between the two. I like Paul Craig. I like the confidence he's fighting with. He's uh, he's at a different level from you know pretty much every other light heavyweight. I I I don't you know I don't think he would have his way with a Glover Teixeira in that in that spot. But um, you know, except accepting uh, accepting the black belt Glover, I think I'm having trouble thinking of of uh, of really tough guys um, who can get you with who can get you with their jits at a uh, at 205 also funny i don't know if you saw this but um bobby green got into it with jamal hill's brother after that fight in the crowd because i guess bobby green and his people were laughing and having a good time at the expense of, of oh, jamal hill's funny. floppy limb i see uh, and so now there's some guy and then jamal hill did a call did like a clapback video calling out bobby green it's like i mean he, he you know he weighs 75 pounds more than him i don't know what they're gonna um or, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen there, but yeah, a little post, a uh, little post-fight feud. I did not hear about it, and quite frankly, I'm kind of glad I didn't, uh, because yeah. man, this fight is worth like you got to give credit to these guys for all the jaw jacking they were doing leading up to it, for the respect that they showed one another, like immediately, right? Like Paul Craig could have easily just like stood over him and like talk shit, like a lot of guys. They do. went, they went drinking afterwards. Yeah, they went drinking and partying afterwards, which I love. But really, what I am extremely impressed with Nick is the brilliant setup to that armbar. Craig has shown yeah. that, like, and he said it after the fight. He's like, look, I'm off my back. I'm a good Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. On top, maybe I'm a brown belt, right? But if I'm on my back, you are in a lot of trouble. And, man, has he shown that once again here? This is his umpteen submission off of his back over either an undefeated or close to undefeated prospect, right? He keeps handing guys their first losses in this exact manner. Um, he basically... He like set this armbar up brilliantly, and it was all set up with a shoulder lock. He attacked the right arm with like that Frank Mir shoulder lock. He got I think over Pete Williams back in like back in like the mid nineties, uh, back when the UFC was still kind of figuring itself out. And he attacked it, was able to get a really good grip, and Jamal Hill was kind of in trouble, but he stayed calm, stayed relaxed, and got out of there. Right, the second time he started by showing the same shoulder lock on Hill's same right arm which made Hill focus on defending his right arm, which is what created the opening for the armbar on the other side. And Paul Craig just jumped his legs over as he was uh, attacking that shoulder, jumped his legs over to the other arm. Uh, brilliant execution of technique, and the setup was flawless. I'm honestly done underestimating Paul Craig at this point. I underestimated him against Shogun even the second time. I underestimated him in this matchup. Uh, he grew up in the octagon, improved on his weaknesses, right? Solid double leg takedowns versus when he first entered the UFC. It was pretty terrible. Much improved striking. Uh, and when he first entered the UFC, he had nothing to speak of when it comes to uh, striking. And he also made his strength in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu very dangerous. So uh, I've got to give serious props to that guy. And Jabal Hill, I think, handling his first loss pretty well, uh, being pretty positive about it. But I hope he realizes he's got some homework to do and he's got to be a lot more careful about staying out of his opponent's strengths in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Paul Craig started out um, four and a half, five years ago in the UFC. You know, uh, three and three, three and four in his first seven fights, um, and he's he's four and zero oh since then. Oh, I'm sorry, four zero oh and one. Uh, since his last loss when he got knocked out by Alonzo Menafield. Looks great. Jamal Hill still has a, a high ceiling. I mean, I think a lot of guys would have got caught like that. It was a great... Uh, listen, the preliminary card, which we'll get into a little bit, was terrific. There were so many good, hotly contested preliminary fights. But this was, for the, except for you know, except for the last 40 seconds of Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz, um, this was the only uh, real drama and excitement on a main card that was... Um, lar- largely, uh, f- fighters cru- like, frankly, cruising to vic. I mean, cruising to victory might be putting it a little unfairly to I the. I guess just staying relatively. But safe. they weren't the fight. The, the fights didn't. The fights were not. Uh, they were not that action packed, uh, and o- they w- I wouldn't describe them as overly eventful. I would say that Brandon Moreno versus over Davis and Figueroa was definitely eventful, definitely just a one-sided shellacking, and we will get into that. But I agree, man. Well, you say one-sided shellacking, but most people are giving. I've I've done you know a little homework on this, and although I didn't experience it when I was watching it, mm-hmm. a lot of people, uh, Chael Sonnen, um, a number of fighters, and people who have done rewatches to rescore specifically, um, have given the second round to Figueroa as one judge did. Oh yeah, and. I'm there with you, and I could definitely see the argument for that because it was relatively close, and he was attacking as he usually and he, does. Well, and off he, of and his he back. did damage. He did. That's he right. did real damage. I mean, Brendan Brendan Moreno after this fight could not walk and had a huge and looked like Frankenstein or like yeah. the Elephant Man. Like I, it was hard to it was hard to notice when it happened, but the fact is that Davis and Figueroa, when he touches you, hurts you. Um, but it did seem like you know Moreno was in charge. But that Craig, I mean, it was a huge surprise. It just. I think we were all looking for the crackerjack back and forth fight that we got in the first one know, instead yes. of a in, instead of a, a, a really definitive not just a, a definitive victory but a a, um, a finish. Yeah, so uh, like let's save the main event I guess for just after this. Let's talk about the co-main Moreno Davidson Figueroa. What are your thoughts on this one? What do you think it is that made for the difference in their first matchup, which was extremely competitive with Davidson Figueroa seemingly having the edge in three to four of the rounds pretty clearly. And in this matchup where Brandon Moreno, granted, may have not won that second round, but it was extremely close. But he just really put the pace on Figueroa and finished him in the third. I mean, Moreno had incredible confidence. And he said he knew. He said the way that Figueroa was behaving, um, like jaw jacking, pushing him and stuff. He thought that he was... He thought he thought that Figueroa was spooked, and I, you know, we know we what we know is that like the previous fight, um, where Figueroa was sick the night before and went to the hospital. In this one, he needed the, until the last forty seconds of the two allotted hours to make weight. Who knows what that took out of him? But he did not. Um, he 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 didn't seem like the same fighter to me. He seemed he didn't seem confident. Uh, with everything he was doing, he certainly wasn't getting off first. Um, he, he, you know, he got knocked down in the first, but I didn't think. I thought that had as much to do with catching him out of position and his footwork being off um, as it was the pop, the power behind Moreno's shot. Um, I don't think it was quite a slip, but I don't also didn't think it was like I don't think it was like a flash, a flash KO or anything either. Um, but Moreno just just had the pressure, was fearless, uh, brought it in and steamrolled Figueroa, which we never would have expected. I don't I don't know. Um I don't know what made um Figueroa vulnerable in this fight, but 
I like even with Moreno's confidence, even with his precision um, and his eclectic game. I don't. I just. I don't think Figueroa was uh, was as durable, as confident, as powerful. I don't think he was the same guy in the cage, and I don't know why that was. He definitely didn't seem like the same guy, and it's kind of tough because here comes in um, Moreno has the career-defining performance that like any fighter would want, right? And and really the talk of the town afterward is about why Figueroa wasn't Figueroa, why Figueroa did not perform. And I feel like not enough credit is being given to Moreno. I talked last week. Um, I mean, this was – Davis Figueroa was your first pick, so you were super confident in this one. And I thought that I would be as well, and then I rewatched the fight. And I realized, like, Moreno, he's not behind him in skill. He's more technical standing, right? He's got just as good a jiu-jitsu. It really depends on who's on top, although Figueroa was doing good damage from his back. The wrestling clearly favored Moreno in a big way. And so what I kind of concluded is that Moreno's going to come into this one way more confident, and Figueroa might come into this one more careful, which is what could make this into a closer fight and what could allow Moreno to walk away with the win. But, man, I didn't expect him to run him over by the third round. Um, the, the thing is that... First, Moreno put a serious pace on him, and Figueredo, like, I spent the entire round, I was watching with my wife, and I was like, any minute now, he's just going to explode with a big strike. He's just, he's taking his time, but just wait, wait, he's going to explode with something big. And he barely did that in the first round at all. Had a better second round, but it, I do think the bigger issue with Figueredo at this point is his weight cuts. We heard the story about him being in a hospital after the last uh, weight, uh, after the last weigh-in versus Moreno just a few months ago. And then he ended up performing pretty well. This time, if you look at the footage of him on the scale, man, he did not look good, right? He looked like he was really trying to keep his shit together and not show that he was feeling absolutely atrocious. Then he walks off and he goes on in his cornerman, like puts his arms around him and, and they walk out. And there's footage of Davidson Figueredo crying as he walks away from the scale. So, and, and I don't mean right in front of everybody, it was in the back, but there's footage of it, of him walking down the hall, just bawling as he walks out of there. So clearly the weight cut is seriously, seriously affected. Well, he him. was also, te- he was also probably emotionally terrified if he, if he was, oh, I mean, if he got on the scale with 40 seconds left, yes, that means getting that, getting that last half pound off was pro- like the trauma, the drama, trauma and stress of doing that, knowing that if he wasn't able to do it, um, the title would not be on the line and he would be. It would just, it would be embarrassing. It would be, it, there would be hell to pay. Yeah, but again, think about it being so difficult to make that weight cut. And you're right. The, the, there's the mental anguish of it, right? the stress of disappointing Dana White and the crew. This would have been his, uh, I believe, fourth, uh, second time in his last four fights if he didn't make weight in this matchup. And you can't do that for title fights. You just can't. You're not going to keep getting away with that, right? But here's the thing Davidson Figueredo comes into every matchup be, being the harder hitter, being more athletic, being stronger. And, on top of that, being the much, much bigger man going in here at 135, like there's a good chance that he goes up to 135, and I do think that's probably in his future if if he and his management are smart. He goes up to 135, there's a fair chance that he might end up being heavier than several of those guys at that weight division, like Cody Garbrandt. I'm fine. Several, now. but I, but he, I, but I, yeah, but I don't. Well, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe a Garbrand, but I'll tell you what, he's not gonna he's not gonna look real big against Corey Sandhagen. No, if you're gonna take the single biggest 135 pounder out there, Rob Font, of course, <laughs> is are gonna be bigger than this guy. Yeah. No doubt. He's not gonna be the biggest guy there. 
but he's still going to be a fair-sized guy. He's going to be in that mid-range at least. And given his athleticism, his speed, the fact that he was able to uh, compete with those really, really technical, super fast flyweights, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see no reason why he shouldn't do well there. I don't know if he's going to make it to the title. It's a much more competitive division, in my opinion. Yeah, he's an inch. He's an inch. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, he's an inch shorter than uh, Frankie. But his uh, yeah, but Frankie Edgar is a guy who spent his career at one fifty five, one forty five, just barely touched base at one thirty five, right? So it's not you know it's not the worst thing to be around Frankie's size at one thirty five. That's where Frankie no, I mean, belongs. Just in, terms big of, guy. just in terms of in terms of height, um, yeah, I think I just don't think he's I don't think the I just don't think that his power is his differentiator, and I just don't think that's gonna. So you don't think it'll carry over? Yeah, you, you might be right. I don't think it'll carry over. I do think there's something to be said about just having heavy fucking hands. Like, if you look at uh, the previous flyweight champion before Figueredo, Henry Cejudo basically came up to 135 and looked every bit as dangerous. Like, who the who's finished uh, Dominic Cruz? Right, who's done that to Cruz before? Just about nobody. Granted, it was a knee, but he went up and he looked every bit as dangerous. He wasn't super dangerous at 125 outside of that Dillashaw fight, right? Davidson Figueredo... Like you, you mentioned his position. He's he's explosive. He's got heavy hands. It seems to me like so. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried about his prospects at 135. Do I think he'll be champion? That's a different story. That's a tall order. But I do think that's where his future lies. Um, I don't blame Moreno for not wanting the matchup next because he did dominate this one, right? Whether it was the weight cut or what have you, the next fight will require the same weight cut. And so I I don't blame Moreno for wanting to move on and build his legacy rather than being stuck in a three fight thing with Davidson Figueroa over the course of a couple of years. Um, yeah, well, I, I also Oscar think- Asokar. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, wait, hang on. Did I get his name right or did I screw it up? Askar Askarov. Ask, um, Jesus. Askar <laughs> Askarov. Um, Oscar Asokar, I think, was a baseball player. Uh, Askar Askarov, who I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, he had he fought Brendan Moreno to a draw, uh, and he's he hasn't lost yet. You know, he's an undefe- he's an undefeated guy with that. He he in his debut um, had a split draw with Moreno, and since then is. Three and zero against Elliot Pantoja and Benavides, which is the cream of the crop, and he's fighting Alex Perez um, in about a month and a, in six weeks. So if he beats if he beats uh, Perez, I think that Oskarov got has is owed a shot at Moreno, and that'll be you know that that won't that's not going to uh, that'll be a, a co-main on an, on another on a yeah. heavy. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, on a heavy card or maybe a main event on an ESPN plus. But but I, I think I think he I think he deserves I think you go I think you you're you have zero losses in five fights against the top guys and you've already been in there and made it interesting with the champ. You know, that's that's grounds for a shot, especially at a at a weight class as thin as one twenty five. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think Alex Perez is kind of a tall order. Not that Askarov can't do it. Askarov showed that he's very capable against, granted, like a shot Benavidez. But he's looked pretty good and shown a lot of improvements over the course of his UFC career. When they went to that draw, I felt pretty good uh, that Moreno won that fight. Moreno, I think, took that fight on short notice. That was his return fight to the UFC after he was cast off after losing to like two of the very best. So Moreno's in the situation now where he had a draw with number two, Askar Askarov. He got beat by Alexander Patoja. I think that may have been in the Ultimate Fighter back years and years ago. And and so he's in the situation where he has a lot of fresh blood to fight. Just about everybody in that top 10. Um, I don't know that he has a win over more than two of those guys. Roy Val, I'm not sure if he's fought Cara France. I think he did beat Cara France by decision. But outside of those guys, Bontarin, Matt Schnell, Tim Elliott, 
Benavidez, I assume, is retiring. Alex Perez, Pantoja would be a great matchup. Askarov is a great matchup. There's so many options, but I agree with you. I think the winner of that matchup ends up challenging Moreno for the title. And yeah, it's not going to be a hugely high-profile fight, but it'll be interesting, especially if Askarov wins, right? Like, Askarov is an unassuming guy. I think he's, like, partially deaf, so not one to talk a whole lot of crap, very respectful, uh, puts his head down and, and, and goes about his work. And Moreno's just a sweetheart. I think he's so marketable uh, as, as, you know, a Mexican-born fighter who still resides in Mexico proudly to represent that country as the first guy in MMA. I know they wanted that to become Velasquez, but this is a guy that like is authentic and uh, Mexican fans can tell the difference. He could be the reason that MMA becomes a huge deal in Mexico. And I'm genuinely hoping for that reason. And the fact that he's a really, really sweet guy. I'm hoping that he keeps, uh, on to, holds on to that title for a little while longer. I'd love to see him reign. Yeah, I like him. I mean, I like Askarov a lot too. Uh, it's, um, I mean, regardless, Moreno is a, is a really exciting fighter. I agree. Let's move on to the main event. Uh, Izzy Adesanya and Marvin Vittori, it's about as exciting as I think we expected. You thought Vittori was going to take it, although I know you did change your no, pick. No, I, I, cha- I changed my pick. And, yeah, yeah, I know. And, I, and frankly, I, think that, I do think that Vittori acquitted himself well, and I do think that he, I did give him the first round. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, Izzy was... Izzy made him miss. Was more elusive. Was um, was slick on was slick on the ground. Avoided the only um, close to finishing the fight moment when Vittori uh, took his back, and um, in making him miss, landed um, you know landed more landed a, a good amount of counters. He didn't ever he didn't ever have Vittori hurt. Um, you know he chopped away at that leg, and. He just, uh, yeah, he just chipped. Away. I mean, he chipped away, and he deserved. I think he deserved the decision. Um, it wasn't that exciting. Clearly, probably, it wasn't no, nobody was nobody. Um, I, I don't know if I would say it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't competitive, but I would say that Adesanya was in control for the vast majority of the time. But right. uh, I mean, Adesanya, Adesanya didn't hurt him. He did out. He did outland him, but not by an embarrassing degree. No, he. That's the thing. It wasn't dominant, but it wasn't, in my opinion, competitive to the point where you're not sure who's winning these rounds. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, I think the first, the first, well, the first, the first round I thought was very competitive, and there were certainly yeah. moments in each round where where it was extremely competitive, like when Vittoria would get a takedown or like when he took his back. But in those moments, Adesanya shined, and he took and he would t- and he would take back control. So a fair a fair victory. It's just when you've got a a man known for the flashy striking and the knockouts uh, that he is um, for Vittori to essentially just plod and walk through everything and not even, you know, Vittori looked like he was, he had been more hurt by Kevin Holland strikes late in that fight than any, than by anything that Adesanya threw. Um, So, I mean, it's good, you know, good, good on Vittori. He's young. He didn't listen to his coaches. Uh, I think he had a, he had a false idea probably of how close the fight was, uh, I mean, Giga Chikaze thought that the thought that Vittori won the first two rounds, and has been very vocal about that online. Um, I don't know that I saw that, but but he's a training partner, and he's biased, and I understand the bias. I, I felt that way. Oh, is he? Is he? A, is he a training partner? Yeah, they're both Kings MMA guys, oh. so like it does make sense, right? Like you're gonna see, like if there is an even competitive round, you as a training partner, not even intentionally, you're gonna have a natural bias. And I've been there. I've been that guy yeah. who's like, wait, are you kidding me? You're telling me my teammate did not just win that fight? That seems so clear to me. I've been there several times. Um, so I, I kind of get where Giga's coming from, but you know this whole argument that he won the first two rounds of the third round could have gone, you know, was split in half between the first half and the second or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I don't that. see that. 
I thought that I thought Vittori won the first. I would have given Vittori the first round, and I thought the other rounds were won by Adesanya. Some yeah. some by a larger degree than others. But there's been plenty of competitive 40, 40, 50, 45 fights. I thought this was a okay 49, 46 one. It wasn't the it wasn't the lack of competition. It was just the lack. It just wasn't. It, it felt a bit like a sparring bout. Like they just didn't. They didn't. Neither one really did any damage to the other. Like in my opinion, Vittori could have had a lot more success in this fight, right? But he didn't show any looks on the feet besides his cross, right? He threw plenty of jabs, right. but it didn't seem like he was trying to land him. He was simply using it as kind of a distraction to set up his left hand. So Izzy didn't mind the jab at all, and he kept his focus on the left hand of Vittori, and that made everything easier for Izzy, right? He only really had to worry about the one thing. Everything else that Vittori's throwing is in the service of that one thing. Vittori didn't attack the body. I talked about how slipping with your head back the he way didn't that... Attack, um, he didn't attack the body. Yeah, and, and, and that was a big key for a guy that's going to be slipping and and evening up his feet the way that Anderson Silva did against Chris Wyman before he got knocked out, right? If you're going to have your feet in one spot, your, your stomach behind that, and your head behind that, you are leaning backwards. You are off balance, and your body is so easy to hit from there. He never went for it. He never went for it. Yeah, and... And people, you know, say, oh, well, it's, they made a comment like, well, he doesn't have near the power that Jan Blachowicz does. It's like, maybe he doesn't, but Definitely he's not. got not some close. power. But, but, it's not a, but it's not about the power. It's that everything that Vittori's throwing, you can see coming. So remember, the one that, the one that always gets you is the one that you don't see. And Blachowicz does interesting things with his timing. He throws feints. He get, he's, he's, just, he's, uh, he's a sneaky striker. There's just it's Vittori's striking game is just too meat and potatoes. I think his I, I think his, his durability, his cardio, he's been able to get by on those things. And he's and at 27, he's still I mean he's still a problem. It does not really seem easy to hurt the guy. No, but it seems equally as hard for him to hurt somebody else. You know what I mean? Like super durable, but not dangerous at all. You know, which we spoke about. Before. Um, I think he can ground. I mean, I think his grounded pound is dangerous if he if if you know he can hold you down. Um, but he needs to, with Rafael Cadero as his coach, he needs to vary up his striking game. As you were saying, he has to go to the body. He needs to throw more kicks. He's got to, he's got to feint more. Um, he needs different kinds of combinations. Like he's just, he's not in a position to catch anyone, you know, off, off guard. guard. I agree. Um, over his career, Michael Michael Bisbee became a much craftier striker. There's nothing crafty about Marvin Vittori's striking game, and that's how a guy who wasn't used to knocking, who wasn't known for knocking people out, who had been derided as as pillow fist, you know, was able to badly hurt Chael Sonnen with a strike, badly hurt GSP with a strike, and knock out Luke Rockhold. Like Vittori, you know, Vittori just needs he needs to evolve his game. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing though: Vittori has the skills. That I like, he's thrown more body shots to other opponents, right? He's thrown his left body kick with some consistency. That left body kick from the southpaw stance is a staple of King's MMA, and so like he has these tools. He's used these tools before, but like he was just either either he botched his game plan and did not execute it, or the game plan just was not a good one. When Vittori went for takedowns, it was always against the cage, and Izzy's really solid at defending takedowns there. It's in the middle of the cage that he can't defend as well, and that's where uh, Blahovich was able to get him, right? Naturally, Vittori... And he had only, that one really good shot in the first round, He just, but he almost pushed it. And that was the yeah, one yeah. in the middle of the cage where he shot and reshot, and it worked. But everything else was seemingly against the cage. So Vittori basically, again, he, he failed when it comes to the game plan. Either that or he had a, a bad game plan. Um, no sign of Rafael Cordero in his corner of, of talking about a much better game plan, right? He did ask for the double jab, which which I respect, like actually committing to the jab. I think 
could have made a difference here. But it just seemed like to me like he didn't show up. And here's the thing. You're right. He's 27 years old. He was facing a guy with over 100 combat sports battles. And this kid has about 2021, right, going into this fight. So it's understandable. There's not a whole lot to be ashamed of. It doesn't seem to me, though, just between all the talk before this fight, uh, some of his actions during the fight, his reaction after the fight, it seems to be like Marvin Vittori is not a very bright guy. He's, I think, mentally just like just so stubbornly confident and believes in himself and, and all of that, which is good. Yeah, that could be youth. It, but uh, it could be. He, he is in his 20s. It just like I don't necessarily see a semblance of a solid. Uh, but, he, but he also watched the fight again. He also watched the fight again and said the right. Like, he doesn't think he won the fight. He thinks it was. He doesn't think it was a shutout, but he agrees that he didn't do enough to win and Adesanya won the fight. Oh, really? I, I got the impression that he believes he won the fight. No, that was for that was for like the first day afterwards. He came I back out and and subsequent to that in podcast has been really honest. But what I like is he's moved on. He's calling out Paulo Costa. He knows that Paulo Costa is a villain. He knows that he's got the skills and the durability to probably to beat him. Um, so he wants to get right back on the horse. So like that's I mean, I, I'm excited to see I'm excited to see more from him. I think uh, I think he can evolve his game. I think it would do. I know he's big and that his size is is a benefit. I think he could he could sacrifice some of that size for speed um, if he's if if he's going to diversify his striking game. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you at this point. Adesanya has fought. Uh, he beat Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa, Marvin Vittori, Derek Brunson, uh, Kelvin Gastelum. Five of the top ten guys under him, he's beaten. And so outside of that, like. Like you can't really look at Cannoneer coming off of a loss. You can't look at uh, Brunson has a decent argument, but unfortunately he didn't demand it. He should have demanded it. Jack Hermanson's coming off of I think he's on a one fight winning streak. So we're in a position where Robert Whitaker seems to be the next guy in line. Uh, you know, Adesanya alluded to that. I appreciate him looking. Well, people, ahead. everyone talks about Till. Uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, Till's Till's going to be the tough. I don't know what the fuck everyone's talking about Till. For. I don't. When I don't know. I think Till it'll done? be boring. I think they'll be staring at each other. And I don't think Till's done much, but. Um, like, you know, I, I don't even think though they're is that quality of a fighter, I just really I don't see it. Like he's a decent striker, but that's it. Like he's got. A good I don't think so hand. either. But it, but I'd like. I mean, I wouldn't mind watching him get knocked out. I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but we've got Sean Strickland, Uriah Hall coming up. Like it could end up being the winner of Sean Strickland, Uriah Hall. Uh, yeah, well, maybe after Whitaker. I think Whitaker is pretty much. After, a oh yes, of course. I mean, after after the yeah. Whitaker fight. Yeah, but no, I don't. I don't see that. I don't see that going well for Whitaker. And by the way, I do have to quickly say, I mentioned those guys that Israel, Israel Adesanya beat. Um, Yoel Romero, if he had been in the UFC still, he would have been in that top 10. So that would have been a sixth guy out of the top 10 that he had beaten. So really, really putting together his resumes. Uh, and, and, and Anderson Silva, don't forget. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's been in the Not top 10. Not that he's in the top 10. But yeah, but yeah. yeah, true. But he is a legend. That's a, that's a major name on your on your record for sure. So now he's in this weird position where every guy he hasn't beaten in the division is he, is like has shown themselves to be like not special enough to be championship material. Hermanson, Darren Till, Edmund Shabazian. I can't believe Edmund Shabazian is still number 10. Um, and Jared Kennanier, right? These are guys with a lot of holes who really don't belong in there with him. Uri Hall is another guy. Um, so, so yeah, he's going to be on a rematch tour. I think Robert Whitaker's next. Paul Acosta's in this weird position now where he's trying not to not to fight unless he gets a big paycheck. Uh, just a real quick on Paul Acosta and his whole situation. Like, not a good look. Everything after the Israel, uh, like basically the Israel fight and on has been really terrible for him after like really building himself up over the years. He's putting himself in that same position as did um, Roger Huerta, right? Roger Huerta basically came into the UFC, had a little bit of success, thought he would be like the, the, the Mexican fighter for the UFC, asked for a lot of money in the UFC, was like, fuck you, you're out. 
you're just going to sit out for a year, year and a half. They're going to kill your career like this. Like you're not going to win this battle, especially coming off of an embarrassing performance. So I hope Paul Acosta gets better advice, man. Like he's not doing smart things for his career. He's going to waste his prime on this battle that he's going to end up losing, unfortunately. As much as I'm all for fighters getting paid more, I feel like he's putting himself in a shitty position here. Well, um, wait, Dana White said that he, he, he talked to him and that, he, and that he, quote, straightened him out. So that's good. I, I, think, I think we'll see Vittori Apollo Costa before the end of the year. Yeah, uh, I, probably I would be, this, I would be probably this fall. Uh, so for Izzy, so, we both agree it should be uh, Robert Whitaker, right? In a rematch? Yep. So then we had that the weird attraction fight, Leon Edwards against Nate Diaz, which, I mean, boy, what bad luck Leon Edwards has. But he was cruising for four and a half rounds, busted up Nate, beating him everywhere, looking super athletic, having some pop behind his stuff, um, like GSP-level athleticism. And he, he uh, like, Nate... Nate landed a, th- uh, a three-piece in a soda on the in the last uh, fifty seconds of the fight, and really had Edwards um, on the ropes. Was unable to was unable to put him down, which which would which was really possible, um, and ended up being the talk. You know, because it wasn't that it, because it was so dominant beforehand that ended up being the 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 talk of the fight. So Edwards doesn't did nothing for his stock coming out of it. Yeah, it's it's weird fighting Nate Diaz because if you like you can be a much better fighter, right? You can dominate him and basically just just do whatever you want for him for four and a half rounds and then fight gets stopped because of a cut and his fans are like, Oh yeah, he was just gonna take over, he was just gonna win this fight. And Nate Diaz obviously leading the charge in that kind of bullshit argument. Um he gets dominated for four and four rounds and four minutes in this fight, and naturally he Lance's first big clean left hand and hurts Leon Edwards. And now that's all that people talk about. And people are talking about it as if this was like make it, making it seem like this was a close competitive fight. And of course, the hardcore DS fans are acting like, you know, that's the only time that mattered because this was a street fight. Then, you know, then Nate Diaz definitely won a pride rules, man. Like one big moment and the fight is yours. And look, there is a downside to fighting like Leon Edwards in that you don't have any remarkably huge moments. You're not hurting guys. You're not smoking guys. You might take the back. You might outstrike them. You might land some clean shots. But you're not necessarily doing stuff to guys that makes judges go, oh, my God. He's, oh, my goodness. That's just they shouldn't be in there together. I would say that Masvidal had a more dominant just more violent performance against Nate Diaz than did Leon Edwards. And Leon Edwards, you and I both think, I think, that he is the better fighter than Masvidal. Um, now, the thing is that we've seen this in in uh, Leon Edwards a couple times now. With a third round, if it's a three-round fight, or the fifth round, if it's a five-round fight, he's going to have some moments. He's going to have some weak moments after looking really dominant. He let uh, Cowboy Cerrone uh, kind of start working his way into the matchup back when he fought him years ago toward the latter half of the fight. Granted, that is Cowboy Cerrone. That's how he does That's how he does it, right? Dos Anjos had a good fifth round against him. Don uh, Gunnar Nelson had a good third round against him, if I remember correctly. So, you know, it is, it is tricky because going in there against the champ, like, First of all, taking the left hand from Nate Diaz, if that's going to rock you, then how are you going to deal with the right hand of Kamaru Usman? Second, if cardio is an issue for you, how are you going to deal? And by cardio, I mean like in that fifth round, you're going to slow down. You're not going to be the same guy. How are you going to deal with Kamaru Usman's pressure throughout a fight, his power, uh, his relentless uh, energy and, and gas tank, especially training at elevation? So I, I do. I, I think it was a weird situation for him. He dominated uh, 24 minutes of this fight. And that one minute is what everybody's going to be talking about. And you know what? That one minute was one fucking left hand. Nate Diaz did this cool thing where um, the hook cross is a good is a good combo, right? And it usually works because the hook 
even if your opponent blocks it, shifts your opponent's head right into your cross. And Nate Diaz, instead of throwing a hook, he throws like a straight arm slap. It's what we know as the Stockton slap, right? And he just smacks you across the face with his arm extended. It's a pretty heavy shot, especially if it cups the ear. It can, it can really mess with your equilibrium. But he just smacks you right into his left cross. And that's what worked uh, for him against Conor McGregor. It's what worked for him, you know, in the last few moments and, and Buzz Leon Edwards. Um, and, and like that, you know, that's what made for that moment. The problem is that when you hurt Leon Edwards, you better jump on him and, and just go with some big selective shots. Instead, he decided, I'm going to point and laugh like I'm known to do. That's clever. And then I can claim that I won after the decision goes lopsided against me. So, look, uh, you're right. Not great for Leon Edwards' stock, but I think it put him uh, it put him on a big pedestal. I think it, it, it gave him a big win, a signature win. And it's always going to be on his record. And he's on a 9-5 win streak in the UFC welterweight division. So, He's still in a pretty good position. It just sucks that Colby Covington's bullshit win over, you know, Tyron Woodley counts for more than Leon Edwards getting. Yeah, I really would. I don't. Yeah, I. But I don't know. I think that before Leon Edwards gets a title shot, he'll either need to go through the winner of Gilbert Burns, Stephen Thompson, or or take the money fight with George Masvidal. I I think that they. I don't. Yeah, I. I mean, they're not. There's. There's no way that he's getting a title shot. Against uh, against Usman off of getting uh you know getting his eyes crossed by Nate Diaz in the fifth round. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I'm I'm there with you. It's not a good look for the champ. Uh, but but we we are where we are in the division. And look, after this uh, performance, and I talked about how if he if he can make a statement against Nate Diaz, he's in line for the title shot. He's there. It's his if he wants it. He didn't make a sta- he didn't get a statement win. I think Masvidal is a fight they're going to offer both guys. I don't think Masvidal is foolish enough to accept the fight. Although maybe after that, maybe after watching that fifth round, maybe he maybe he feels like he can knock him out. And honestly, watching that, maybe he can apply that pressure and just and, make him. But it also fight. depends how many how many Masvidal think how many big paydays um, that can be hyped with a video like the three piece in a soda video that he thinks he has left in him after getting after getting knocked unconscious by Usman. If he only has one big payday left, that could be the one. Anyway, um, going really quick through the rest of this card, although there's, well, there's certainly some things we're talking about. Bilal Muhammad clearly trained. Uh, he, he trained to defend that double, that single leg, and Damian Maya didn't have, didn't have a plan B, so it was what it was. Not, you know, we need to see more from Bilal. I don't really consider that uh, a trademark win. I just, I don't know that he's good enough anywhere to to have success against the like the top eight or the top five in the division, but we'll see. He's a sh- certainly a likable guy, and hopefully Damian Maya gets to go out uh, against someone that he likes to. He, he called out respectfully Nate Diaz. Caesar Gracie said, "There's no way we're taking that fight. There's no upside to it." Yeah, I agree. So with that. I don't know. I don't know who. I don't know who the the go home fight will be. Um, uh, he's he's going home, Nick. He's signing a new contract with somebody else. I don't think uh, this was the last fight in his contract. He's done, unfortunately, oh, okay. in the UFC. Which is a shame. I assume he'll end up in uh, in Bellator, maybe PFL. I could see him honestly out grappling people to win a million dollars. It's it's doable, but PFL is showing itself to be like higher level than like a bunch of old UFC former champs or contenders coming in and dominating. Like it's not that simple as we saw with Anthony Pettis picking up uh, his loss and his debut there. But I do absolutely wish the best for Maya. Bilal Muhammad did a really good job of landing his lead hand against Maya. Normally when you have Muhammad, who's an orthodox fighter, going up against the southpaw and Maya, normally the backhand is the one that's more landable. But Bilal Muhammad just was so consistent with his jab and, uh, and you know, that was really the core of it. He, he had really good grappling defense. First round could have arguably gone to Maya. Uh, you know, p- predominantly Maya controlling against the fence and attempts for takedowns, maybe getting a 
semi takedown and then blah Muhammad working was his way up to his feet. I, I do. I, I want a matchup for Muhammad that he deserves. I wouldn't mind Leon Edwards. I don't think Edwards would be looking forward to or into that matchup at all. But outside of that, um, I think Vincente Luque has a fight coming up uh, versus Stephen Thompson. Is that correct? No, oh, no, no, they, no, they already Thompson. Fought. That's right. Burns Thompson. Um, if the if the Stephen Thompson doesn't get a title shot, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with this world. But I I would not mind seeing him face somebody like Luke. I think Luke is facing Kiesa next, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe the winner of that fight uh, would be a good matchup for Bilal Muhammad because I do want him to take uh, somebody in the top five or six. He's looked good against guys just outside of that. And Damian Maya is a is a solid win any way you put it. Um, and then the other fight that I think is really worth discussing on this card is Brad Riddell, Drew Dober. Um, really, really impressive. Just a fun fight to watch. It was fight of the night. We expected it to be, right? Uh, Drew Dober is a super fast southpaw kickboxer. Brad Riddell is uh, not as fast, but just relentless, and he gets stronger over the course of a fight, has so much kickboxing experience. The defense on both guys was pretty good in the striking, right? Dober's speed advantage and fast uh, start was enough to hurt Brad early in the first round, and that's what won him the round. But Riddell coming on stronger over the course of the fight and his deeper kickboxing experience allowed for him to take over in rounds two and three. Uh, Dober had more variety in the strikes, but his left hand was the main thing that Riddell like had to worry about and that helped it's kind of very similar with his teammate Israel Adesanya where the left hand is all he really had to worry about in that matchup but because Riddell was focused on Dober's dangerous left cross it allowed Dober to land uh, right hands and kicks that he wouldn't have otherwise both guys had mediocre takedown defense leading into this and I talked about it last week and pretty good offensive wrestling so it was nice to see each guy get a takedown although it sounds like Riddell got several more than did uh, Dober pretty cool to see some of their exchanges uh, Dober throws a cross right from southpaw Brad slips it and counters. Dober slips the counter and counters again. Brad slips that one and then hits his counter hook, uh, which is eventually what gets him, right? So, so you're seeing literally one strike after another where each guy is tactical enough to slip and counter, but Brad Riddell's experience in kickboxing is what allowed him to slip and counter that fourth or fifth punch and, and end up getting Drew Dober. Solid defensive work from both guys, but that's a great example of Riddell's kind of deeper kickboxing game winning out i i loved uh, many moments in this fight. yeah he's the young, he's the younger fighter he's the younger fighter but he's this but he's the city kickboxing coach if i'm correct and yes. dober you know but dober fought like the less experienced guy he certainly is athletic and powerful um and had a great first round but riddell's and he blasted riddell riddell's nose was gone but yeah. um but yeah, Riddell's Riddell's composure and his and his striking won out over time, and he rocked Dober hard. The fight I wish we could see, but this other fighter is at one forty five. I'd love to see Brad Riddell against Fiziev. Oh um, man, that would be lovely, Nick. But you know, maybe who knows? Maybe we'll see it. But yeah, Brad, uh, Brad Riddell's one. He's he's certainly one to watch. I mean, I do worry he's going to have trouble with with uh, some of those those amazingly powerful wrestlers at one fifty five, but. Gosh, if we could see him in with Gagey, like there's there's some good there's some good fun fights, and we we all I think knew this was going to be one of the winners. Uh, Definitely. On the card. Two things I want to talk about because I know you you actually gained a point on me, but I I think the judging was a little off. I had JoJo Collarwood over Lauren Murphy. I had Alexis Davis over Panny Kanzad, um, and both of those fights went the other way thanks to the judges. So I'm a little grumpy about that. Um, but good, you know, good fights all around. I just feel I feel bad for JoJo that. She's had a. She was on the verge of a, a payday title shot, um, and it went away. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a shame for JoJo, but I am glad that Lauren Murphy is on a multi-fight win streak going into potential title shot here. It was a close fight. It, it could have gone either way. I would say that um, Lauren Murphy versus JoJo was closer than was Kianzad Alexis Davis. There's a better argument, I think, to be made that Alexis Davis won the fight. Uh, then that really Joanne Calder I think, won the fight, but they were both I, very competitive and both you know both could have gone either way. Uh, but again, I, I just feel like Alexis Davis was almost a robbery, whereas Calderwood, I think there's an argument to be made that first of all Murphy dominated the second round with purely grappling, not much damage, but you know the first and third rounds were not very far apart. And so there is an argument to be made that Lauren Murphy won one of those. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I don't have a big issue with that. And honestly, there have been a couple of terrible decisions going against me lately. So I'm kind of glad that Karma's trying to even things out between us, Nick. That puts me at a six and a half point advantage. Your total is 55 and a half points. My total after this event is 62. So again, we're keeping it competitive. We're, we're staying in that same range. And you're, you're I'm sure, going to continue to inch your way uh, into this one. Yeah, I just I, I wanted that. I, I the one that would really hurt was because of the way our the scoring works. I would have gotten yes. two points for Alexis Davis, and the fact that I if I select if I correctly pick an underdog and get screwed out of that, I'm gonna be pissy. I I, I know it, it it hurts because it was a fifty fifty fight that you saw despite the odds. So, yes. so good on you for making that pick, buddy. Uh, um, Evlo- Evlo- talk to me. He could be he could be the shit out of uh, Hakeem Duadu, but Duadu didn't give up, and he brought it in that third round. And he, yep. ro- you know, he rocked. He, he certainly, uh, he buzzed Evlov. By the way, I saw a picture after that, uh, shortly after that fight, with Mozar uh, standing with Khabib. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that I know that Evlov is fighting at 145, but holy shit, Khabib is a lot bigger. <laughs> is he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I believe it. Mozar's Khabib, not Khabib. particularly tall, and he's also like got these super short arms, which I, I'm sure helps Khabib just look like a much bigger man. Plus, Khabib is not. Not trying to make 155 ever again in his life, I would imagine. So that's probably a factor right. there as well. Uh, but but that is pretty cool that they took a picture together. I wonder if there's ever been training between those two guys. Evloev basically dominated the first two rounds with chain wrestling, was able to keep top position. Duadu has been taken down throughout his UFC career, but he's got a, uh, done a good job of getting back up. I talked about the reason I felt confident in Mofsar is because if you get up, he stays clinched with you, he's going to reshoot. He's a great chain wrestler. He's not just going to like disengage and go back to standing up with you. Uh, and that was the case. But then Hakeem looked really good in that third round. Rocked Mofsar at one point. Uh, not, I guess, super, super dissimilar to Leon Edwards' uh, Nate Diaz matchup. But this was an entertaining one. Also, Kianzad Davis was entertaining. I thought that Davis, uh, Davis probably should have gotten the win, but could have gone either way. Or uh, it was a competitive fight. And it's nice, honestly, like whether Kianzad truly earned that decision or not. She's now on a four-fight winning streak in the 135 pound division after going i think zero and two in her first two bouts so a big shift in career for actually she was one no she was zero and two in her first two ufc bouts uh so a big shift for her a lot of you know good to see her having success and alexis davis is gonna knock off some prospects sooner or later uh terrence mckinney matt frivola mckinney's superpower just touching a guy on the chin and frivola has been knocked out uh, early previously, Steven Peterson did what we expected to chase Hooper, out hustle them. Well, not yeah. Well, he he also fought the he fought the kind of the from a fight IQ standpoint. Steven Peterson didn't fight the smartest fight. He he's never does. Lots and lots of he's fought a lot of the fight willingly going uh, going towards the only shot that Chase Hooper had. He played footsie yep. with him. He was clearly much stronger on the feet. He could have forced Chase Hooper up. Uh, to stand, but he he uh, he played with fire, managed not to get burned, kind of showed the kid up a bit. Yeah, I mean, he, he has three times. Sorry, I'm chewing again. <clears throat> he has three times the experience, and I'm glad that he was able to take advantage of it. But uh, Steven Peterson's not going to be a top 15 fighter. That's pretty clear at this point. No. I agree with you. He, he makes some pretty bad decisions out there, despite the fact that he trains at a pretty good camp. 
uh, Faraziam uh, over Luigi Vendermini, another guy that won the first two rounds, gave up the third round once Luigi got really aggressive. It was a good performance by yeah, both guys. Yeah, I thought that should have been a draw. I thought that was a clear 10-8. Oh really? I, uh, I don't know. I, did, I, I one of the ju- one of the one of the judges made it. One of the judges made it such. I mean, he be, he he had him on the ropes, hurt badly, and had complete control for you know four minutes and ten seconds of the round. I thought it should have been a draw. That that does sound pretty significant. I mean, here's the thing: if if you're gonna say that though, and and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm a big believer in ten eight rounds when there's a clear cut winner in the round. And it's not I can't call that for the JoJo Lauren Murphy round because Murphy did no damage. The whole thing. Yeah, but JoJo did with, no damage, and she was dominated. I'm sorry, you know, Lauren. Like the argument could no, be made. No, 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 no Lauren. But Lauren Murphy did did no damage. If you just get top control and keep it for the whole round, I won't I won't give a ten eight if the person's not injured. He, uh, Luigi Vendermini, like practically knocked out Ferez Zayam like a couple of times in the round. Like he was, he had, he, the, he was completely, um, he he was badly, badly hurt. Like if you've got someone on the verge of a, if you got someone on the verge of a finish, I think Mm -hmm. that that's when if, when if, when you can smell a finish and, and there's dominance, that's when I start to, Positional dominance. That's when I talk about a 10-8. You get, you just have dominance with, I mean, positional control with no damage. You can't get a 10-8 round without doing no damage. And Murphy did no damage. Here's how I feel. I feel like if you're going to completely dominate your opponent, even without damage, and your opponent does absolutely nothing all round long except for surviving, like it's a, there's no argument to be made for your opponent to be winning the round. I'm comfortable with the 10-8. So I'm comfortable with the 10-8 in both these cases. Honestly. I'm, like, I'm think, not as long as, as until they start giving 10-7s then for the opposite. Yes, I'm there with you for the really just but, horrific beating. Well, then, that, totally then, then, then I thought that that round should have been, in the, in the Zion fight should have been a 10-7. I honestly think that uh, uh, maybe I'd like to rewatch that because I, I didn't think it was as horrible of a beating as as you're saying it is, and maybe I need to rewatch it. But uh, I will say this: I think like any round that's it's not clear, like who who won, right? It could have gone either way. That's a ten nine round, right? Why should that ten nine be the same as Lauren Murphy completely just doing? Well, I know, but that's just the way. Wise. Well, it's, it's. I mean, that's just the, the scoring. The scoring's broken. <laughs> like, dude, it really, it really yeah. is. It could use a lot of work. I don't, I don't disagree with you here. And if we're gonna get into that, we're gonna spend an hour just on that. And then Carlos Felipe uh, had a rough first round against Jay Collier, but his pressure won out, and that's exactly what I expected. I talked about it. Yeah, he's also so, a lot of fun. I mean, he, he had is. the crowd going. Like he's, he I mean, he's, he's got he's a gonna... DS brother element to him, where he's just talking trash and pushing forward. I, I like this kid. He's yeah, he's smart. He's gonna find himself. Um, and he, and he can go. He, you know, he remind he reminds me a bit of, oh geez, who is that heavyweight that then went to Bellator and then went to bare knuckle fighting? Joey Beltran. Joey Beltran. Yeah, I agree with you. That's probably a pretty fair comparison. Nikolai, we got a UFC card to break down. Believe it or not, it's not a big one, but UFC Fight Night Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige should be an interesting main event. And uh, there's three or four other fights that I think are going to be exciting. A couple other fights to pay attention to, but not the best card ever. We're going to take a break and hopefully quickly breeze through this card for you guys.
back on the MMA Geeks C-Level podcast, and we're going to get into the MMA Geeks draft, Nick. Uh, Nick and I take turns picking fighters that are competing on the upcoming UFC card. At the end of the event, we tally up our points, one point for a win and no points for a loss. Of course, you get half a point for a draw or a no contest. If you pick a fighter that's involved in such a thing, you get two points if you pick an underdog correctly of plus 150 or above. Nikolai, I believe I have the first pick. I'm currently six and a half points up on you. 62 of my points to 55 and a half of yours, Nick. My first pick is going to be in a fight that I think, quite frankly, does not belong on a UFC card. And I don't know why I have this much confidence in this, but I think it's because one of these fighters truly sucks more than the other. Uh, I'm going to take Alexa Kamor to beat Nikolau Uno. I think both guys are mediocre by UFC standards. Both came into the UFC with some hype, and both showed that they have plenty of room to grow. I'll pick Kamer, who might be l- like slightly less mediocre since he trains with Stipe Miocic, and I think it's just like pretty physical for the very sloppy style of Nikola. All right. Well, you're coming out with the fights that no one's going to remember. And pick 100%. Um, I'm going to go and try to pick up my two-point uh, underdog fight here. I think, listen, this I, I might eat my words here, but I'm going to go with the immortal matt brown because he still has power and diego lima his net has always been chinny and matt brown still lands um, and he still has some degree of durability i don't think diego lima is going to calf kick matt brown without catching a couple of receipts uh in return and i could see one of those uh dropping him i, I think the immortal still has a finish left in him and i think that diego lima is a very finishable guy yeah, I mean, Diego's done a much better job defensively. His chin is not very good at all, and he's been knocked out a bunch of times there, especially in the, in the UFC in particular. And now he's 3-1 uh, and one going into this bout with that one loss being to Bilal Muhammad in a, fu- in a fight where Bilal really put the, the, the pace up on him but never hurt him. Um, he was, however, hurt in a, in a third round against Court McGee, and that is concerning because Court McGee does not have Matt Brown power. But also, Court McGee's going to be there in the third round. And is Matt Brown at this age? I'm not so sure. Um, here's the thing. Given these odds. And remember, this is a, Mac, a Matt Brown that sat Miguel yes. Baeza down yeah, yeah, yeah. like no, exactly a year ago. I think if he has a moment like that against Diego Lima, he's probably going to take him out. Um, but I do think Diego Lima's probably more technical overall. I don't like that he backs himself up to the fence. That's where oh, Matt yeah. Brown's going to attack you. That's where he's going to throw those bombs. So, like, the guy that – and, by the way, his brother – does the exact same thing. He just backs himself up to the fence and hopes to throw the occasional low kick and like very low output. Uh, I, I don't like it. I like that Diego Lima has shown improvement though in his defense. Um, look, given these odds, I would have made the same pick if if you gave me the opportunity, but I am edging Diego Lima slightly because I think he's the overall more skilled guy with the better gas tank. Uh, Matt Brown seems like you're relying on a puncher's chance. And again, I would have to if I picked this fight given the, the point advantage that it would give you. I think it's a little... I think, yeah, I think it's a little more than a puncher's chance. I would yeah, say it's a I'm an, aggra- an aggressive fight. It's an aggressive fighter's chance, yeah. but um, it's uh, yeah. I know, like again, it was it wouldn't be my first pick if I wasn't if I wasn't trying to neutralize uh, you taking those two point opportunities off the board. Yes, sir. Uh, my second pick is going to be. I'm going to go ahead and take a flyer on this. I've predicted David Grant fights wrong for several fights now. He is getting really fucking good, and he came into the UFC as a really good grappler, made it to the Ultimate Fighter finale uh, before he ended up losing, unfortunately for him, that opportunity to the more well-rounded, at the time, Chris Holdsworth. And then he went on to beat Marlon Vera back in 2016, where Marlon Vera was kind of a neophyte in the UFC, uh, had a two-fight losing streak, and now putting together three wins in a row, two of his last wins. All those three wins, by the way, against good strikers, 
as is Marlon Vera, and two of those wins by knockout. I believe in all three cases, he was the underdog. So he's coming into this like, you know, he's shown a lot. He's improved a lot. His power is there. He's confident. He's the kind of guy that he can lose the first round and still for some reason be uber confident in the second round. Enough to knock out Jonathan Martinez, who's a really good striker, a really crafty guy. So, look, uh, Marlon Vera does compete at a different level, though. Martin Day and Jonathan Martinez. Martin Day is not UFC caliber at all. He does not belong there, based on what we've, we've seen in the promotion. Jonathan Martinez has only beaten guys at the very bottom of the rung of the UFC. And that kind of, you kind of have to say that describes David Grant as well at this point. Uh, while David Grant has serious power... Marlon Vera is extremely durable, and Marlon Vera has been fighting guys like Jose Aldo, Yadong Song, and those guys haven't been able to hurt him at all, right? They've landed clean on that guy, and so for that reason, I don't expect David Grant to be able to turn everything around with one shot. I'm picking, uh, I'm picking my boy Marlon Vera to pick up a well-deserved win here. You know, this is the level of guy that Marlon Vera beats: uh, the the Andre Ewell, the Sean O'Malley, the David Grant. Unless David Grant is like elite at this point, and uh, I've underestimated him three times, two times in a row. Maybe wrong here too. Yeah, it's funny because I thought the way you were going, I thought you were going to pick Grant, but I'm. This was my next pick, and I am also picking Cheeto Vera, who's only 28 years old, by the yeah. way, to Davy Grant's 35, right. um, which means that when they fought a few years ago, he was really a kid. Not only a kid, but he trained in Ecuador, Nick, with like nobody, and now he trains with a legit team. Yeah, well, and also, you know, he did pretty well against Jose Aldo till he got caught in that body lock uh, in the third round, and I don't really, I don't see that happening. Um, in in this in this fight, I mean Jose Aldo, though we don't often see it, uh, is you know has been a, a he's what he's been a, a BJJ Brazilian black a Brazilian yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a BJJ black belt yes. uh, fr- from Brazil and has been so for like twelve thirteen Probably. years something Although like that. Although we don't see it often. Uh, yeah. We don't see it often, but that was a hell of a it was a hell of a uh, body triangle that he had him in. I agree. Although I will quickly say Jose Aldo, in my opinion, clearly won the first and third round of that bout. Marlon Barra had a good second round. He had a good second round, but I didn't think the first round was like, I have to, I'd have to go back and watch it, but I think it was running away. I thought, I thought Vera acquitted himself well. Yeah, he, he hung in there, but Jose Aldo's speed, his precision was just too much. I don't necessarily see David Grant having that. He like throws these looping straight arm shots and clearly has some heavy hands. Yeah, I'm saying once you've been in there with Aldo, yeah. it, even if even if you lost, you know, he lost that 29-28 decision, you can come into this with a lot of confidence. And he's also entering his physical prime against a guy in his mid-30s. Yeah, um, you're definitely right. So I agree, I, would, I agree with you on the pick. Um, next, I'm going to go with uh, my girl Crazy Eyes, uh, Virna uh, Jandaroba, to defeat uh, Kanako Murata. I think Murata is good. It's just that I think I think Jandaroba is like on the verge of being elite uh, in the weight class, and I think she's just going to be the much stronger fighter here. And because I think she's going to be the much stronger fighter, I think a little bit taller, a little bit more reach. Um, I think that I think she'll be able to muscle her uh, and positionally and uh, keep the fight. I think we're going to see a lot of Jandaroba control uh, on the ground, potentially leading to a submission. So I I can definitely see this fight going either way on paper. I definitely disagree with your breakdown because I think that Kanaka Murata is like maybe the best wrestler in this division outside of Carlos Barza. Is this 115 or 125, Nick? 115. 
Yeah, outside of Carla Esparza, and, and probably a better just pure wrestler than Esparza, although she's not as well-rounded, she's a like a muscular, dense, short, thick girl. Like, I believe she's a stronger fighter. I believe she's the better wrestler. Jandiroba has the better Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I believe that she's like a black belt from top position, unlike Paul Craig, right? Whereas from bottom, she's not nearly as effective. And I don't like her chances of getting top position against Kanaka. I don't love her stand-up. Like, she'll throw wildly, and then if somebody throws a combo at her, she just literally kind of turns her head and tries to get away and hopes for the best. And Kanaka Murata has been working on that. She's super athletic. She's very strong. I'm going to edge Murata because I think she can stay safe up, up top and avoid submissions and keep that top position and win rounds that way. But uh, John DeRoba is, is super capable, very dangerous on the floor. And I think she, if she was smart in her game plan in her last matchup, I think she could have very well beaten Mackenzie Dern. I think you're going to find out that Mur- I think you're going to be surprised that the strength differential is not going to be what you think. I think John DeRoba is going to be physically stronger. I like it, Nick. Let's see how this works out. I'm, I'm excited to find out. Uh, and uh, my third pick, Nikolai. Wait, that was your second pick, correct? And I think part of why I'm saying that is I think I think that the that uh, Murata is a, I think she really has an Adam Waits, an Adam Waits build. I think she's a slightly beefed up Adam Waite. And I just, I, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm actually very curious. I'm quickly going to look at the size matchup here. Uh, by the way, the records between these two girls, 28 and three combined record, which is absolutely unbelievable. You're right. She's five, one, but John is only five, three, but John Roba is the favorite. So I, I hear where you're coming from. I just wish Kanaka was big enough of an underdog for me to take advantage uh, with our point system. My next pick, I am, I think I'm going to go ahead and dive into the main event, Nikolai. I realize this is risky. I realize there's questions to some extent about both fighters. Chan Sung Jung has been doing, like, he's had some really great moments over the course of his last few years, right? Between working his way up to the title shot with wins over Mark Hominick and Dustin Poirier to having, like, a, you know, a semi-competitive-ish fight with Jose Aldo back in 2013, which then led to a four-year layoff, a three-and-a-half-year layoff uh, to serve in the military for injuries, came back, beat Dennis Bermudez with a knockout early, um, dominated or was doing well against Yara Rodriguez for four rounds. And then with one second left, got caught with a insane elbow right by Rodriguez, a fight that he was by all means winning. Although it was, it was somewhat competitive, uh, beat Mykano by first round knockout, beat Frankie Edgar by first round, uh, knockout. So he's got serious power early. Right. And it does kind of make you question like, what's he going to be like in the second, third and fourth round based on what happened with Ortega. It seems to me like in his last fight with Ortega, he got hit with that. I think it was maybe a spinning back elbow. And he just seemed not to be the same. He wasn't nearly as aggressive as he usually is. He wasn't countering as explosively and effectively as he usually does. I think Brian Ortega got a lot of credit for it, but it it seems like nobody realized that like Korean zombie wasn't himself. And I'm not sure if it's because he's past his prime, right? He's taken a lot of damage over the course of his career. Uh, He's at this point, 34 years old. Granted there were three and a half years off right in the, in the middle of his career. So he wasn't taking a lot of damage at that point in his life, but 34 years old, he's not a young guy for 145 pounds. On the other side, we have Dan Ige, right, who's just grit tough. He is extremely tough, like mentally and physically. He can be he can be roughed up and beat up for five rounds by a guy that hits as hard as does Calvin Cater and make it through and still keep trying throughout that fight to win. Um, he got an arguable split decision over Edson Barboza, out-toughed and outworked the much more athletic Mirsad uh, Bektik, gave Kevin Aguilar only his second loss in his career, so, like, really, really, like, has had a lot of success. Gavin Tucker, he knocked him out in seconds, but I think that he's going to be 
going in and giving Chan Sung Jung a lot to counter. And he's really dangerous on the counter. As we saw when he gets those knockout wins, it's because wrestlers are basically pushing forward on him, trying to set up their takedowns like Moicano, like Frankie Edgar, like Dennis Bermudez. So I'm picking, um, I, I'm assuming that the Korean zombie is still in a good place in his career, is in a good place physically and mentally. And based on that, I'm picking him to win the decision here. I just feel like Ige is not going to be necessarily consistent or good enough to take him down cons- like throughout the fight. And I don't think he's necessarily going to do enough damage. Like I'm not truly bought into his power just yet. I need to see a lot more before assuming that he hits hard enough to hurt the Korean zombie. But uh, Korean zombie better show up on this one, man. This could be like a deal breaker for his, for his upper echelon career. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I agree with the pick. Um, I've been thinking about this one a lot. Uh, I like I like Ige, but it's just Zombie's got he's got more tools and more path to victory. He's got a little bit more range, and Zombie, he, when he gets beat, he seems to get beat by guys who have who have have better reach than he does. Um, who are and, and who use it, and who are really dynamic, unpredictable strikers. Yeah, yeah Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, uh, Jose Aldo. Um, Iga's kind of a meat and potatoes uh, puncher for the for the most part. He's 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 good. He's got good boxing, um, but I don't know that he's going to surprise uh, Zombie uh, with with anything. Um, so I I tend to think I I also think that um, even though he's got good wrestling, that the jujitsu uh, and the scrambles favor favor Korean Zombie, who's got really creative submissions and could be able to take advantage. Even though I don't think he's he's I think he's very it's very unlikely that he KOs uh, the ultra durable Iga. Um, Iga, I think it's possible he gets a choke, um, or it's possible he does some other weird submission. Um, I still I think he still I think he still got it. I mean Ortega's huge and came back with an entirely new striking game. Um, but I don't. I think uh, I think Zombie's still got uh, got some fight left in him. So I see him. I, th- I think this is going to be a very fun fight to watch, um, and I, I see it going. It's, I see it most likely going the distance, and that the variety of attack and the frequency of attack should score enough points. Yeah, I think Dan Ige is, is definitely tough mentally and physically enough. Has a good enough chin to last the distance with Jung. But, you know, getting sparked there early against the Korean Zombie is definitely not out of the question for any guy that's this much, I think, like shorter than him. Uh, for the record, I agree with you that this fight and the David Grant versus Marlon Barra fight are by far the best two fights that we've discussed so far. What's your next pick, buddy? Uh, next pick, I'm going to go... Um, I'm going to go with the co-main event. I I could end up being wrong about this, but I just think that at his age, what is he now? He's forty three against the twenty six year old Spivak, and Olianek has has uh, two inch. He's an inch shorter, but um, he has two inches of reach on the younger Spivak. I think I think Spivak should be able to uh, land, you know, land land, and I don't think it takes much to rock Olianek at this stage. Um, and I think Spivak should be able uh, should be able to land so long as he keeps his cool uh, and he keeps and he keeps his distance. It's yes, Olianic will always have a chance of of getting that Ezekiel choke uh, or some other creative choke. But I I just I think he's kind of he's too old and his dura- his durability is shot and he's not very athletic. So if Spivak can keep his composure. Um, he should be able to he should be able to piece up Olianic, I think. Yeah, um, I, I'm in agreement with you on the pick. I look, It's funny because both these guys are known for their head and arm throws. They're kind of 
it's a takedown that predominantly is used by the women uh, in the women's divisions effectively, right? But these guys somehow pull it off at heavyweight against other giant monsters. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Spivak has really developed, like, ever since he first entered the UFC, he basically came in as a grappler, as we saw against Walt Harris, who just knocked him out in 50 seconds, and Taitu Vasa, who he had to drag to the floor multiple times before finishing him there. But, and he lost to Martin Tibera, which is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of at this point in time, part of Tibera's five-fight win streak. But then he beat Carlos Felipe, who we just discussed. He's a really good fighter, right? And Carlos Felipe, not only before that fight, but after that fight, has looked really good. Like, he's done some things in the UFC. He beat Jaron Vandera, right? And honestly made him look really bad. And I think Vandera came into that fight as a favorite, which I thought was crazy, which is why I cashed, uh, I cashed on some profits in that one. But Vandera's come back and looked really good in his next, next UFC fight. Like, really impressive. So, you know, his his resume is looking better over time. Tai Tuvasa, after losing to him, ended up coming back and doing really well. He's on a two-fight win streak, both by knockout. So, you know, his resume is Yeah, and you get caught by his loss to Walt Harris in the first round. Like, if losing to Walt Harris in the first minute of a fight yeah. is something that a lot of a lot of guys almost do. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely it's, there with you. It's, it's something that, like, you just got to make through about a minute and a half, and then you're good, and you're going to beat the man. You're going to finish him. But he just, you know, he was too inexperienced. He was making his UFC that, debut. That was his debut. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that was part of Walt Harris's, like, four-fight win streak, the only solid win streak he's had in the UFC. And and no fight since uh, no win since then unfortunately for him but uh here's the thing about Olenek he has a really competitive win over Fabricio Verdum really fucking impressive he's a legend he's one of the goats in in heavyweight MMA history um Maurice Green who he was able to outgrapple and outdo that was great he had some decent moments against Derek Lewis but Derek Lewis you know too big too powerful Chris Dawkins was just going to land early on him and spark him Spivak doesn't necessarily have that kind of power, but I like his jab. I like his consistency. I think he can survive on the ground even if he spends a little bit of time there. So I'm there with you on the Spivak pick, and uh, this probably would have been my next one as well. So we're generally aligned in this one. Your third pick, that was. My fourth pick, I'm going to take another underdog. And Nick, she's like just short of being the right level of underdog, which kills me. She's plus 140. I'm going to take Casey O'Neill to beat Laura Procopio. I actually have a pretty good track record in Procopio fights in the UFC. Thus far, I predicted that she would lose her UFC debut against Rosa, who's you know a really good fighter in her own right. That was a fire fight. They threw hundreds of strikes. H- Hosa. Hosa, Stan. Jesus, come on. Um, Hosa. You're probably Hosa. right, but I feel like they say Rosa on the broadcast. I feel like the fighter decides. Well, they're wrong. But anyway, uh, she dominated Molly McCann in her next fight, and you and I disagreed on that one. I think you took McCann with confidence. I was like, you crazy motherfucker. She's going to lose. And she did, Nick, but Casey O'Neill, her level of tenacity is like out of this world. Just pure tenacity and pressure. Grits her, really? her way yeah. through resistance. More athletic. Poses. Yeah, I think she might be. Um, she grits her way through resistance and kind of imposes her will with offensive boxing, wrestling, and ground and pound. Procopio, super high output striker, good percentage just through decent hands. But I think like size-wise, she's going to be outgunned here. And even though she may be a little bit more crafty, might be able to win a decision that way. I'm gonna rely on Casey O'Neill's pure aggression and just her, for her to be able to overpower Procopio, who again I like Procopio. I think she's a good fighter. She's like an unathletic fighter where if she had some decent athleticism, she could have been top ten material in the near future, and she might still be. But uh, but I think her lack of athleticism in this one's gonna hurt her. So I'm gonna pick the bigger, younger Casey O'Neill to pick up the win. Uh, I think this one's a real coin flip, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I think I would have gone with Procopio. Um, okay, next. What do we got here? Let's look at this. Boop, 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 boop. Oh, man. 
Not a lot of fun shit to pick from. No, not really. (laughs) Um, Oh, geez. Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to go with Rocky Martin over Josh Parisian. I believe yes, it's Rocky uh, Martin. Mar- yes, uh, Rocky Martin, sorry. Rocky Martin, I'd probably be doing that wrong. I mean, he uh, you know, he lost uh, to Romanov, which is what you, most people do. Although I, I did think uh, that Juan Espino um, should have had that in the yeah. last bout, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he lost to Dante Mays, but I thought... Josh, I thought Josh Parisian looked really bad against Parker Porter, who's just on the cusp of UFC level uh, himself. So I, I just that fight was recent, and I th- I just thought Parisian looked really really bad. Um, so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with, with with Martinez here. This is not a, this is not a this is not really a UFC fight. No, that I was gonna say this is the second fight we're discussing thus far. That's not really UFC level. Neither of these guys really belong here, but it is heavyweight, and here we are. Josh Parisian came into his UFC debut as a big favorite over Parker Porter. That's another one that I cashed out on. You and I disagreed on that pick, and I think a lot of people thought that uh, thought that Mart. Uh, I'm sorry, thought that Josh Parisian was gonna have the advantage there. I just I didn't say anything special about the guy whatsoever, except when he ends up on top, he can do something. Um, because he's the bigger guy in this matchup, though, because he looks like he's less out of shape. Like, Roque Martinez walks into the octagon, and if you told me that guy spent the last six years on the couch, I would have been like, yeah, no, I believe it. That makes sense. Although, cardio-wise, he's not that bad, to be fair. Um, whereas, you know, at least Parisian, like, is the taller man little less body fat, a little more muscle. So I'm going to pick Parisian here. Um, I realize he's not a great striker, and maybe if it stays standing, Roque Martinez will have the advantage even though he's smaller. But I do think if he can get top position, which might be a big F, if he can get top position, I think he could rain down with some decent ground and pound. So I disagree on the pick, but I'm glad you're the one making a, a, making this pick. My next pick is going to be... I'm going to go against my boy. I think I'm really going to regret this, Nick. I'm going to go against my boy, Wellington Terman. And I think I'm going to pick Bruno Silva to pick up the win over him. The thing about Bruno Silva is, like, if you see his fights, there's nothing really impressive. There's nothing spectacular except for his power, right? Like, he doesn't seem to have much technique really anywhere. But he touches guys in the chin and they drop. He beat Alexander Shlomenko in the first round. Three minutes, that was, you know, in 2018 when this guy is basically a nobody. Shlomenko is like a former Beltor champ, 57-10 and 10 record going into that fight. Beat Shlomenko via first-round knockout. Beat the guy before that with a 17-6 and six record via first-round knockout. The guy before that, 5-1 and one record, beat him with a first-round knockout. He beat a guy named Artem Frolov, who was 11-0 at the time. That was his last bout. By fourth-round knockouts, all right? He's gone the distance. That's a good sign to me. Although I haven't watched that fight in particular. I wasn't able to find that tape. Wellington Terman, what I don't like about him is that he came in there against Andrew Sanchez and got kind of starts in that first round, he was taking some big shots leading up to that. It seemed like he was losing confidence over the course of that bout. I like his team. I think they have a couple of decent fighters between uh, Sakai and Bontarin. Uh, but I, I feel like there's not a whole lot of guys his size for him to work with. They're either much bigger or much smaller, just looking at the, the list of, of guys that are fighting out of there. I, I'm probably going to regret this, but with uh, Wellington determined coming off of a first-round knockout less than a year ago, I, I, he was scheduled to fight Sean Strickland in November. He was sh- scheduled to fight again 
in uh, February. Both those fights didn't end up working out, right? But the fact that he's been taking hits and training this entire time, I don't like that, especially after the horrible knockout he received. So I'm going to take Bruno Silva, who has insane power. And also, I got, like, somebody told me, I'm not sure if this is true. This was, like, one guy's opinion. He thought he saw it somewhere. Apparently, like, Wellington Terman and, and this Bruno Silva guy may have had a grappling match recently, and apparently... Apparently, Bruno Silva won, even though I would have thought that uh, Wellington Terman would have the edge there. So weird circumstances here. I'm going to be rooting for Wellington Terman, but, uh, you know, maybe against my better impulses, I'm picking Bruno Silva because of his power. Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, I'm going to go with... This is a tough one because both of these guys are, are known for uh, for very fast finishes. Uh, I'm going to go with Chaos Williams over Matt uh, Semmelsberger. Um, you know, Chaos had those those two big um, 30 seconds or less uh, finishes in 2020 uh, to kick off his UFC career. Then he got put in there with Michel Pejea, who's a tough draw for anybody. He's strong. He's athletic. He's unpredictable. Um, he's he's fairly elusive, um, so that was I think that was a, I think that was a tough draw. But I think these guys are I think these guys are going to go at it, and I think uh, Williams will have this. I think could have the slight edge in durability. Who I'm not quite sure there, but I think he has an edge in speed. Um, so I I think he's going to uh, I think he'll I, I suspect this one's going to end in the first uh, in the first round uh, either way. Uh, but I see chaos. I see chaos. Williams landing before Matt Semmelsberger does. Yeah, chaos has the one-shot knockout power, but also showed he can hang with someone like Michelle Pereira in a three-rounder in his last bout, which is a decent sign, even though he lost that decision. Semmelsberger has the higher strike output and more versatile kickboxing game than chaos. So this matchup basically comes down, I think, to Semmelsberger's chin. I haven't seen him knocked down a whole lot, and he hasn't been knocked down in his career yet. I think his output. Uh, yeah, it's not. That's that's not true. He was knocked out in Shogun fights. To uh, Jerome Featherstone uh, beat him by All strikes. Right. Thank you for that stat, Nikolai. Let me. See I don't. That. I don't know if it was ground and pound or not. I'd have. To, I did not watch it. Yeah, I wonder um, if he was exhausted. I think I watched that fight like uh, leading into his UFC debut, uh, into Semmelsberger's UFC debut. I don't remember the details, but I. I remember thinking that the guy basically gassed out. Semmelsberger gassed out. That's how I think he won, lost, but I'm not sure. Uh, fair point. That was a third-round knockout. Uh, Chaos Williams was a first-round knockout kind of guy. Uh, I, I'm going to – I see the a little bit of value in Semmelsberger. I tend to think he can possibly win by decision, but he's going to give Chaos Williams plenty to counter, and all that Chaos has to do is just fire once, and that could be it. So you're probably right. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. You may have even swayed me to, toward uh, Chaos Williams here. Uh, my next pick is going to be, and we have two left. We have Rick Glenn versus Joaquin Silva and Julian Arosa versus Sengwu Choi. I think I'm going to go with the Rick Glenn-Joaquin Silva fight. I think I'm going to take Silva. Easily could go either way. Glenn is like nothing but pressure and offensive wrestling. Big for the weight class. Oh, I should say he was big for 145. He's coming up to 155 now. And he was actually the first guy to beat Gavin Tucker. Loses to like the more athletic, experienced guys who are not going to gas out on him. And I think a lot of this depends on Joaquin Silva's gas tank. But Glenn, I think like, part of his success at 145 was that he was so much bigger than everyone that eventually his size, uh, like the weight of his arms when he's throwing them at you, the, the weight of him in the clinch, I think all of that wore on his opponents and they got tired and exhausted over time and then he could take over late in the fight. 
I have less confidence in his, his ability to do that 155. And although Silva's not super tall, I still think Silva's going to be like a like a fucking fire hydrant in there compared to Glenn. Um, so I'm I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Joaquin Silva the slight edge here because it's hard to tell where Rick Glenn is after like a three year layoff. Silva himself is in like a two year layoff, but he's been beating, I would say, higher level of competition more recently than has uh, Glenn. So I'm going with Joaquin Silva. I'm also going. I'm also going with Silva. This next fight's super hard. This is our last one, right? Yes. Oh, I really enjoy. Uh, Julian Rosa has put on some some terrific performances. Um, we saw him uh, in that great fight with the with the quick finish, uh, that beautiful knee against Nate uh, Nate Landwehr. Yep. Uh, <coughs> and he also beat Sean Woodson, who's uh, Who's, uh, you know, certainly a tricky, uh, tricky fighter, uh, particularly at his with the the range, you know, with the range that he has. Although, uh, Choi and yeah, Choi is almost as freaking as big. I mean, Choi's six Choi's feet. huge, yeah. Uh, and he's like physically yeah, imposing, seven. but Erosa is like the veteran that gives prospects their fresh losses. He's like that guy. It's interesting. Yeah, it's really tough, and he um. And he he really overpowered uh, and tossed around and tossed around Zalal. Yep. But it's man, these guys are these guys are both big. They're both tough. I think this is gonna be a I think this is gonna be a great fight. Choi is favored, but I'm. Oh man, this is okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna do something really embarrassing right now that, that I haven't that I haven't done in a while. I'm gonna look I'm gonna look and see how. Uh, out of curiosity, how uh, the topology picks are trending, and they are sixty-seven percent. It's sixty-seven percent Arosa, thirty-three percent Choi. Even though Choi is the plus, I mean, is the minus one sixty favorite. Right, crazy. I mean, it could just be on the. This is such a coin flip of a fight for me. Also, I wonder how many people I'm, have already voted for this card since it's not a very big one. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious, yeah. but it is surprising that it's that far in favor of Erosa. I'm, I'm gonna go with the underdog Erosa. Cool. Um, and it's just a, it's just a, it's just a gut. I've got no, this I, I have no idea what's gonna happen. I think this is such a strategically interesting fight. So I had a really hard time with this one. Choi was beaten by a couple of like really skilled athletic guys in his first two UFC bouts, right? There's not a whole lot to be ashamed of in those matchups. Uh, he lost to Gavin Tucker and to Mofsar Evlov. Like Evlov is a fucking monster, right? Especially in 2018, basically Choi's UFC debut. That's a rough one. Second fight against Gavin Tucker, super technical, super crafty, good grappling, good stand-up, really good everywhere. And then he like was able to run over Mokhtarian, who's a terrible fighter. And Yusuf Zalal, he looked really good against. Um, I, I guess I'll go with Arosa too. I wish Arosa was a plus 150 underdog because I would have picked him earlier for that reason because I think there's value there. I think that Arosa just crashing the pocket and going straight at Choi at all times I think is going to make... You know, it's, it's going to make a difference here. I don't think Choi is ready to be backed up like that. Yusuf Zalal is not the kind of guy to back anyone up. And Suman Mokhtarian is just a terrible fighter. Gavin Tucker and Mofsar Evlov are going to back you up. They're going to pressure you. They're going to they're, they're going to put their body onto you. Erosa is not as athletic, but I think he could do that as well. I'm going to edge slightly toward Erosa, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Sungwoo Choi is like a top 10 level kind of prospect, like the kind of guy that's going to be in the top 10 in the near future. He 
he's one of those guys where on paper it seems like he's improving fight to fight. He's going to have the athleticism advantage. He should have on paper the striking advantage, maybe the power advantage standing. But uh, Erosa is crafty if nothing else, and he's he's going to have like a whirlwind for uh, for Troy to deal with. And I, I'm, I guess I'm going to assume that that's going to win out. By the way, Erosa on a three-fight win streak uh, between Landwehr and Woodson, A.J. Bryant, who was 11-4 and four at the time, Pretty pretty fucking good. Erosa's doing well for himself after a little bit of a losing streak there. Yeah, I mean this. That's uh, this is probably the fight. This like every card has one. Every card has the fight fan fight, and this is I think the fight fan fight on this card. Yeah, um, they were there. Just for the record, he also beat Jamal Embers, who was seen as a prospect back on the contender series. So Erosa's been knocking off prospects like Landwehr and Woodson. And uh, Emmers for a little bit now, man. That that craft is really coming together, and he's come a long way, I think, since being the guy that lost to Ar- Artem Lobov by knockout on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm there with the Rosa, but the athleticism difference is what concerns me. Nikolai, that will do it for this card. This is not one that where like we have to see every single bout on the card, but I do think there are four fights that are definitely worth watching. The one we just finished discussing, Arosa versus Singh with Troy is one of them. Matthew Schlesenberger versus Chaos Williams is bound bound to be exciting. Uh, Matt Brown versus Diego Lima could be fun. Um, Rick Glenn versus Joaquin Silva is going to be fun to watch. And then uh, I expect that Bruno Silva willing to turn. You know what? There are a few fights here that are that are probably exciting on paper, um, whereas they don't necessarily have the big name value. And obviously, Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige, Marlon Vera versus David Grant. These are some pretty good, exciting fights to watch, I think, for maybe some new MMA fans that don't care about names. Yeah, I mean, it's listen, it's a bit of a a bit of a come down, but you know, they got a lot of fighters they got to give fights to. Yeah, I do. I do hear that. And some of these events are obviously going to be lower level, especially after a big pay-per-view next week. Nikolai, we got a pretty great main event. Cyril Ghosn versus Alexander Volkov. Uh, Danilo Marquez, who's had some success, is facing Kennedy and Zuchuku. Nicholas Dalby, Tim Means, I'm interested in. OSP versus Tanner Bozer. Michelle Pereira. I'm sorry, that's Michelle Prezeris that's coming back. Uh, against that undefeated Uzbeki fighter, Shafkat Rachmanov. Uh, Charles Rosa, Justin James is fine. Oh, Timor Valuev versus Honey Barcelos. Nikolai, I'm really looking forward to this. Jay Herbert versus Renato Maicano. That's exciting as hell. Um, Andre Touchy-Feely against Daniel Pineda. Yes, sir. That's the first fight on the card. That's insane. Julia Vila versus Julia Storialenko. I, I'm looking forward to seeing Avila. Yancy Medeiros versus Demir Hadzovic. I would say there's definitely stuff to look forward to in this card. There's going to be some explosives. There's going to be some people yeah. going unconscious. Nick, I'm looking forward to this one, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, Moicano Boycon- Herbert should definitely have a finish. That's going to be interesting. But, the f- I mean, looking at this quickly, yeah, Barcelos, Valiev, that's the, I mean... That's I fantastic. Look, that's the fighter. That's the that's the fight fans fight on that one. Uh, Gon Volkov should. I mean, here's the thing. Volkov's going to push the fight. Yeah. So he's going to pressure. I don't think. It, I don't think it can be boring. I think that no. either like it's we're going to find we're going to find out how good Cyril Gon is. We really are because he's not going to rose and strike him. Where he's just going to stand at the end of his kicks, if waiting he can't, for the perfect. If chance. he can't beat, if he can't beat Volkov. There, his up, his we've seen his upside. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say this. There's a chance. There's a chance that Volkov is the best heavyweight on the planet right now. There's a chance he's he suddenly just hit this whole new fucking level over his last few fights. And grant that he lost to Curtis Blades, but even Curtis Blades looked like shit against him in those last two rounds. Uh, granted, Wal Harris is Wal Harris, but also over him the way he. Right. What I'm saying is, him. it's a kickboxing. If Cyril Gunn's, I mean, Cyril Gunn's got to be forced to fight to his strength in this fight. He's not going to be shooting double legs on Volkov. No. I don't think if he gets pieced up by Volkov, I don't know where he goes in the division. 
Yeah, it, it is tough. I mean, you could also look at it as his prospect loss. Volkov has over 40 fights yeah. in MMA, and Gon has eight. Crazy difference. I could definitely see Volkov just coming in there and like putting those 40-something bouts to good use, man. He was champion in Bellator, like, Nick, like 2013, almost 10 years ago, he was the Bellator champion. And here he is coming into potentially a UFC title shot with a win here. So really good on Volkov. Really good to see him having success. And Cyril Ghana is always fun to watch. Super technical and way faster than he should be as a heavyweight. So definitely plenty to be excited for in that bout. And Nick, besides the two or three points that I'm going to gain on you in this event, I'm going to gain a few more points next event. And then before you know it, Nick, we're just too far apart. You might have to literally give in by October. Just give up. No, give it's up the, the second season. half. It's a, it's the second half of the year, and every year I come on strong, and we're usually further apart than we are now. So, talk is cheap, man. We'll see. But you can thank the judges for saving me from gaining a point this last week. Oh my week God, they Nick! You know me what? I, two decisions. You know what I just realized? You're the you Nate have a Diaz. Recording? You are the Nate Diaz. That's <laughs> funny. You are the Nate Diaz to my Leon Edwards, Nick. You just you, you just get out crafted over the first huge portion of the of the competition. And then late, Nick, you come out with some haymakers and you have a couple of good moments and then you talk about it as if it was a win. Literally, that's that's the perfect my goodness, Nick, I figured it out. Alright, this is my practice podcast. I gotta get on with my host of my good podcast. What the fuck? Wait, you're not gonna invite me on your good show. podcast? I wanna be a part of it.